Take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1 through 6. We'll be looking at that. We're continuing in our series in Ephesians. George started us last week and gave us a little background and introduction to this letter that we'll be going over the next 20 weeks or so. Paul is writing this letter to the Ephesian church that he had uh, planted. Um, if you want to read about that, go to the middle part of Acts and you can read the story of, of Paul coming to Ephesus and, and meeting some disciples there and, and, and sharing the gospel with them and planting a church and he stayed there a couple years and poured into those men and left them and here he is writing from prison back to them to encourage them in the faith. The book is really divided in, in, in some ways in half. In the, in the first half, Paul talks about our position as Christians in Christ, who we are in Christ, who we are collectively as a church and indiv individually in Christ. And then in the last three chapters, Paul talks about a lot of practical things, things like, how do I relate as a Christian in the workplace if I'm a boss? Or how do I relate in the workplace if I'm an employee? Or, or what's it look like to be a, a, a Christian dad or husband? Or what's it look like? We talked about this in youth group a couple weeks ago. Paul talks about what it looks like to honor your dad and mom in the home or even outside of the home as you leave home. What's that look like? And, and he goes on and talks about marriage. And, and then towards the end of 6, we, we look and see Paul talk about what's, what's warfare look like? What, is, what does it look like to be a Christian and, and, and do battle for Jesus and put your armor on? And so all these practical things we'll get to, but if we don't understand the first half of who we are in Jesus Christ, then, then that motivator and that strength and that power um, will not be there to equip us to do, to do the work. Um, this, this is not by accident, and it really is reminding of us, us of a biblical truth that good theology comes before good practice, or biblical theology, I should say, comes before biblical practice. Christ was asked by um, some men, came up to him and said, what is the greatest commandment? And he said, the greatest commandment was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And everything else hangs on that, that if we don't understand who Christ is and who we are in him, then, then none of the rest of this will matter. Let me give you an example of this so, so, so we're clear, because to be honest with you, this is the most important. Let's say, for instance, we're struggling here with, with singing, okay? And it's become a problem where, and I'm, I'm using this as an example, this isn't a problem. We were raising the ceiling this morning, it was great. But let's, let's say for example, this is a problem. The only people singing are the ones here on the platform. And, 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 we, and a, a, practice over, uh, a, a practice over good theology, a biblical practice over good theology solution would be, well, maybe if we chose songs that people like to sing, they would sing out. Or maybe if we had better musicians or more musical instruments, they would sing out. So let's choose some songs, let's get some better instruments so people would worship better. Okay, that's a biblical practice over biblical theology solution to that problem. Nothing wrong with any of those things. But that's not what 
God's word teaches. A biblical theology over practice solution would be that we started praying for you, that you would understand what you've been saved from, that you would worship Christ, that we would, that we would, we would start doing biblical teaching about what it means to be born again, and that you would somehow understand, just grasp just a little bit of that. And if you got that, you're singing. You wouldn't be singing, you'd be shouting, okay? So that, that, that's just one example. I'll give you a practical like, outworking of that. I know this to be true even in my own family. When we first started coming here, I noticed our kids weren't singing during breaking of bread. And I think I've shared this story before, but it's just so, it's, it's, it's just a great, I feel like it makes it so clear in my own mind. I hope it does in yours. But I noticed they weren't singing during breaking of bread. And, I, and I, so I said, okay, I sat them down and I said, okay, here's the deal. If I can hear you sing, and I'm not going to be straining to hear, and I'm not going to look down at you, but if I can hear you sing during breaking of bread, we're stopping by Quick Star on the way home and I'm getting you a donut. And so it didn't take probably two weeks, and the singing had changed drastically. <laughs> because it, I was good on my word, and I, I think the first Sunday only one of them did it. Ty, do you remember this? Yeah. I think one of them did it, and then they, you know, we went to, and I didn't get it for all of them. I only got it for the ones who I heard. Well, the next week, they were all singing. And I, and I looked down at them, and they weren't singing like normally you sing and you're like looking at the screen or looking at the words or whatever. They were all had their faces turned and were projecting the noise <laughs> down the row at me. And, and, and I, I, said, I sat them down afterwards. I, I took them all and got them donuts and I said, we're not doing this anymore. Because they weren't singing for Jesus. They were singing because they wanted a donut. And, and if, you're, if you're coming to Ephesians here to... Try to start walking like a Christian or to hopefully have a better marriage or, you know, get somewhere in the workplace or whatever it may be. That's not what this is about. If you're looking down the row and you're trying to please other people or, or, or trying to serve Christ here so that people think that you're a good person, you've missed it completely. You've missed it completely. All that is good. There's nothing wrong with any of that. But the Christian life, the Christian walk comes out of an understanding of who we are in Christ. And this is, where I'm, this is where I'm going this morning. I just want to tell you right up front where we're going here this morning is that my heart is that you would see who you are in Christ. And so as we look at these verses here in Ephesians together, I pray that, that you would catch, catch Christ's heart for you and what God has done on your behalf. I'm sure you're already there. Ephesians 1, 1 through 6. Let's read it together. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus, and faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he has made us accepted in the beloved. Let's, let's just pray and ask God to speak to our hearts this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this book of Ephesians. 
God, I feel completely inadequate to, um, in some small way, pull the curtain back on your nature of love for us before the foundation of the world. I don't understand it, and how can I explain in any way what that even looks like? God, we, we just come before you this morning asking for your spirit to, to give us all just a small picture of who we are in you and who you are, God. And then that our response would be one of awe and worship for the rest of our days, God. May that, may that happen here in this place, specifically in our hearts. God, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so uh, just a few observations here as we dig in. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. I like that introduction. I, I, I think um, we can learn something from how Paul introduces himself. And I would just challenge you to think of yourself this way. You are a dad representing Jesus Christ by the will of God. You're a mom representing Jesus Christ to your kids by the will of God. You're a Sunday school teacher here representing Christ Jesus by the will of God. God has chosen me for this task. I represent him and just, he just, I love, the, I love Paul's introduction there, just of, of not only just saying who he is, but, but who he is in Christ and, and recognizing that this is by God's will that I am here and in serving you. He, he addresses this to the saints who are in Ephesus. What is a saint? You know, that, that's kind of a, a word that has different meanings to different people. And I just want to submit to you what a, what a biblical understanding of this word would mean. There's, there's different connotations from different backgrounds, what a saint is. But just so we understand the rest of this passage better, a saint is a person who is born again. A saint is a person uh, who is, I uh, like what Bill McDonald says, a saint uh, New Testament refers to all believers as saints. It says more about who is in them than who they are as a person. Okay, so it's identifying them as this is somebody who has the Lord Jesus Christ uh, within them, the Holy Spirit within them. The, it, it does not necessarily uh, mean that they have done great things for God. We see in Corinthians that Paul encourages the saints there to start acting like it. So there's, there's certainly saints that can be not living for the Lord. It, in our culture, you know, if you say somebody's a saint, sometimes you would automatically, especially in secular culture, you would automatically think that they've done some, some good or famous thing. That's not what, what this is talking about at all. This is talking about who they are in Christ and who, who is it within them. But also, there is this idea of, of, of being a saint as being somebody that's set apart from the world. And, we're, and we're gonna, as we go through this passage, we're going to see that, what we've been chosen to. And so the expectation for a saint is that you're somebody that's set apart by God from the world. So he dresses these saints who are faithful in Christ Jesus. And again, he just is reiterating, your faith is in Christ Jesus. That's why you're a saint because you have put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Now, that's important as well, because he's already 
identified them as believers. So this is not saving grace that Paul is somehow granting to them, but he's saying, may God give you grace in your interaction. May God give you grace and forgiveness as you continue uh, and, and stumble. May God give you grace. And then, and then the peace that he asks for them as well. I, I like this, that thought of, of that this is the peace of God, not peace with God, okay? When we, when we come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and are born again, we have peace with God, okay? That's just done, okay? But this peace of God, uh, I'll, I'll, I want to read to you in Philippians. I think that I have this here in my notes. Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I think that's, that's the peace Paul's asking for them to experience. As they go through life and have opportunity to be anxious, may they give those things to the Lord and the peace of God would guard the hearts and minds of these believers in Ephesus. So he, so he begins with this greeting here to the born-again believers in the church there and, and just blessing them, saying, may God's grace be in you in the ministry and may, may you not be anxious, but may the peace of God be upon you. And then Paul begins to just worship with them, before them. He's, he's not with them, but in his writing. He begins to just worship the Lord. Look down at verse 3. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. You know, it's been said a couple times, and, and I feel like this, this message this morning is an echo of what we went through in breaking of bread this morning, but how precious is our salvation? This blessed, blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. How amazing is our salvation? How amazing. And I, I don't, we don't have, we don't have time to, what a, what a absolute, all-inclusive statement Paul gives here when he says, blessed, blessed with, with every blessing in the heavenly places. I mean, there is no end to plumbing the depth of what that might look like or what we might experience. But I, I just want to call your mind to a few, again, with the purpose that you would worship and be amazed by the great salvation that you enjoy this morning. The first one that I'd like you to consider is your inheritance. Your inheritance. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. Let me just read this to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance. So he's resurrected us to what? To this inheritance. Incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Do you know that you, if you've trusted the Lord as your Savior and you're born again, that you have an inheritance individually for you? Guaranteed 
incorruptible, undefiled. I mean, just think of those three, three things right there. Guaranteed, incorruptible, undefiled. Think about that. There's nothing in this world that's any of those three things. And this isn't just for the super-Christians, okay? This is an absolute statement. For those of you that are born again, this is what you have in Christ. If, Christ is your, if God is your Father, if Christ is your Redeemer, this is your inheritance. This is what it means. I don't know if I grasp that fully. God will keep you by his power. Praise God for that. Through the faith he has provided. And we'll reveal this to you at the end of, the time, end of time. I look forward to that day where God will reveal to me my inheritance in him. I think if we grasp that truth will appreciate the next one that I want to have you consider as far as the blessings God's given you in the heavenly places. And the second one that I want to consider is our opportunity, our opportunity now to affect the inheritance then. Matthew 6, 19 through 21. These are the words of Christ. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I, I want to stop here because I have read this and I, I'm sure I'm the last one to read it this way. I'm sure all of you do not, but in case some of you do, I've always read this and thought of this in the negative that... I need to stop thinking about this world. I need to stop pursuing wrong things or, or just things that aren't going to matter. And as I was looking at this and just meditating on this, so was preparing for the message and thinking about the opportunity that I have to store up treasure in heaven. Look at Christ's promise here in verse 21. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I want to ask you a question. Is it possible that you could get your heart to heaven before your body or soul get there? And I think that's what Christ is, is encouraging us here in. There's an opportunity for us to move our heart to heaven before our body and our soul. How can we do that? By using our treasure here. Our time, our money, our gifts. Think about that. If we could get our heart in heaven, how would that affect our life here? How would it affect our worship? We sang that song this morning, so let it be today. We shout the hymn of heaven. You know, are you looking for Christ's return? Are you anticipating this inheritance? If, if you get your mind around that, you can't help but share the gospel. You can't help but but use your career to further the kingdom. You can't help but to use your influence to change people's heart for, towards, the, towards 
considering the gospel, you can't help but, but raise your kids and your home for Jesus Christ and stand strong when people mock you. None of that stuff. Your heart's in heaven. It's not here. It's a huge opportunity. Incredible opportunity to transfer. When I went to Mexico, I, I put some money into... Um, Mexican money. It was pay, I know the only thing I know is pesos, but there was whatever they would call the Mexican currency, okay? I transferred it over. What did I do the last day I was there? I just spent it all because I knew when I brought it back, I wouldn't be able to, it would be worthless to me. There's an opportunity for each of us to take our currency and transfer it into a heavenly currency. And we're foolish if we don't spend it all now for Jesus Christ. We're foolish if we don't put it into a heavenly currency. Huge opportunity. The last one I want you to consider is as we consider this blessing from God that we enjoy, these spiritual blessings in the heavenly places, is you have a name written down in the heavenly places. Your name is written down in glory. Look with me at Luke chapter 10. Turn there, Luke chapter 10, verse 20. Jesus has sent the 70 out and they return to him and they are excited about the missionary journey they've been on and the Lord has given them supernatural power to do amazing things and they are ecstatic and they come to him and they say, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you authority to trample on servants, serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Verse 20, look with me, Luke 10, 20. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Beloved, rejoice this morning, not in the work necessarily that God has called you to do, but may your joy be that your name is written down in heaven, that God has chosen you and written your name down. If you're born again, your name is in some book up in glory. And when you stand before God, you won't be judged like the others whose name is not found in the book in Revelation. It talks about that. If their name is not found, they'll be judged by their works. They will be judged by a works-based salvation. And they'll be found wanting, every single one of them. You won't be judged by your works. If your name is written down, you won't be judged by your work. You'll be judged by the Lord Jesus Christ's work, who God is well pleased in. So these are the blessings. These are some. I would encourage you, do a study on it. What are the blessings that I have already right now in glory? There are many, but those are just a few. Let's look now at verse 4. Flip back to Ephesians 1, verse 4. Let's read it. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. If you are born again this morning, God chose you before the foundation of the world. What an incredible thing. And I, I, I do want to um, 
warn you here. Look with me at the language he uses. He says, he chose you before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him. If you're born again, you have been chosen to be somebody who is holy. And you've been chosen to be somebody who is a person of integrity. Not sinless, but a person who's, a, who's blameless. That the world would not look at and say, automatically think of, of a person who has no resemblance of a godly person, who has a terrible reputation. That's not what God chose you for. And if you look at your life, and you don't see this, I want to plead with you to examine where you're at with Christ. 2 Peter 1.10 Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure, for if you do these things, you will never stumble. I don't want to say, I don't want to confuse anyone here or, or say that somehow um, that by your, um, if you are not holy, you're not saved or anything like that. But I just want to tell you, God chose you before the foundation of the world, but keep reading. He chose you before the foundation of the world that you should be holy and blameless. That's God's choice for his sons and daughters. And if that doesn't resemble you in any way, shape, matter, or form, that should desperately concern you. Because if God chose you, he certainly has the power to make you holy and blameless. Okay? Both of those things are true. That is God's will for your life. And if that is not your reality, that should concern you desperately. It's the most important thing uh, for you to consider is where, where you are with Jesus Christ. And so I would just, I would just ask you to, to consider your own life. God is, is, uh, is this a mark of, uh, is this, is this a, a define who I am? If the world looked at me, would they think of somebody that was holy and blameless or would they would be reminded of just another average guy or average woman that's doing the same thing the world's doing. That is not what God has, he has he's chose you as a saint, set apart from the world. This is, this, there should be some differences in your life. Verse 5. Having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. God has predestined us to adoption as sons. What a beautiful thing there, too. He hasn't predestined us as slaves. That language is used, that no longer we're a slave of, of, the, of the devil, we're a slave of God. That, that language is, 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 that's scriptural, that's biblical language. We are a slave of God, but here, Paul really in desiring to help us get a, a, a full picture of where we are in Christ, doesn't use that term. He says, I've predestined you as sons. Paul's describing one of the most loving relationships 
that there is between a father and a son. And God's chosen that for you and him. That's what God desires. Psalm 139, for you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed unformed, and in your book they all were written. The days fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them. You see here this this poetry in the Old Testament again just explaining this New Testament passage here. It's the, it's the same. When as yet there were none of them, God saw your days before you were even created. Look at verse 17. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Precious thoughts of God to us before the foundation of the world. Dwell on that, brother and sister. God, what were your thoughts about me before you created the world? Romans 8, 14 through 18. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. You see this picture here, you're being brought into a family. And God has bought you and redeemed you, not as his, as his slave or as some outcast that's brought in on, on the fringes. But God says, no, I brought you all the way into my very inner circle. I want to have a relationship with you. I'm going to adopt you as my son. having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. God loves the idea of saving you. God loves the idea. It pleases him to save his people. This, your salvation is not something that just happened. God is incredibly pleased to save you, the good pleasure of his will. Isaiah 53, 10 and 11. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Verse 11, he shall see the labor of his soul, that's you, brother and sister. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. You see, our salvation was not some corner that God was backed into and had no other way. But we see here that this was all part of his plan from the beginning, that it pleased God to do this. To what? To save us to the praise of the glory 
of his grace. Verse 6, to the praise of the glory of God's grace. God saved you. Yes, he saved you from hell. But he saved you to manifest to the world and to the heavenlies the praise of his glorious grace. You are, lest we think that we are the center of God's universe, you are not. We are the beneficiary of God's desire to manifest his grace. We are the beneficiary of that. And we'll be forever grateful for that. But let us not think that we are the center of God's universe. We're not. He is. He will be honored and glorified. And the salvation that he wrought for us at the cross pleased him. Not only that we would be saved, but this would rightly picture who he is. Who he was before he did it. Who he is after he did it. He is a gloriously gracious God. And only saving hopeless sinners like us would fully demonstrate that, so he did it. To the praise of his own glory. Well, we need to finish. Past blessing of adoption realized both now and far greater in the future. What about this past blessing that we enjoy affects us now and in the future. You know, we enjoy past blessings now. I got up this morning and took a hot shower because guys before me discovered electricity and, and now we have it in our house and we, we heat up water with it. But they didn't have me in mind when they did that. I drove here in a Ford truck, but I guarantee you, Henry Ford did not have me in mind when he started mass producing the vehicles. I was not in mind. And we don't have, we don't enjoy anything now that wasn't, that, that's from the past that wasn't corporately for the good of all mankind. There are many things that we enjoy. But there's nothing individual beyond your, maybe at the most your, your parents, but even your grandparents wouldn't have you in mind. That we enjoy the freedoms in this country. And our forefathers fought for those freedoms. But you weren't on their minds. It was a collective good of, of, of their people or, or mankind in general that they gave those sacrifices. We see here this language in Ephesians 1 through 6 that it's very individual. Yes, God died for the sins of the world. But before the creation of the world, God individually had each one in mind. And said, I will do that for you and you and you and you. This salvation, this, this past blessing that we experience now is unlike anything in the world. It's individual. To finish where we started, I just want to say to you this morning, may you understand the goodness of God. May you be overwhelmed by his kindness. There really are no words to describe this kind of grace, 
There's, there's no earthly wealth that can describe his kind of inheritance. There's no earthly family that really fully represents his kind of fatherhood. But my heart is, is that his word, which is powerful, will speak to your heart. And you'll catch a glimpse of that. Two questions today before we close. Do you know this salvation today? Ephesians 1 through 6 is not written to unbelievers. Okay? So I don't want anyone sitting here. You don't need to understand the truth that God knew you before the foundation of the world to get saved. Okay? These are mysterious things. I, I hope that I have been faithful to the word this morning, but these are mysterious things. The, the will of God and, and salvation and, and the will of man to trust in God, these are mysterious things that I don't want to confuse anyone here today with. Let me read to you Romans 9, or yes, 10, 9 through 13, because this is written this is a passage written to those of you who are here today that you say, I don't know this salvation. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes in, on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call on him. Verse 13, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is what you as unbelievers, you as, as you're sitting here today and you say, I don't understand anything that guy just said. Jesus said, come with faith as a child. You don't need to understand all of that. What you do need to understand is you're a sinner. And that Christ died for you and loves you and is calling to you today, will you accept his gift of salvation for you? Do you know this salvation, this great salvation? The second question is, do you love your Savior today? If you're born again here, for the sake of time, we won't go there, but in Revelation 2, Christ comes to um, John and asks John to speak directly to the church at Ephesus, this same church. And they had continued on faithful in the work, but they had lost their love for their Savior. And perhaps the incredible works God had done through them as sons had become more precious than the ones he'd done for them as slaves of sin damned for hell. See, God's greatest act of love for you was not that he helped you solve a problem yesterday as a born-again believer or that he helped you refute false teaching or gave you strength to persevere in a unfulfilling ministry or unthanked ministry. God's greatest act for love for you was in saving you. And they had gotten that out of whack as a church. And Christ came to them and said, remember the love that you had when you realized that you were born again, that you were saved. He says, I want you to return to that. They had forgotten who they were. 
I've got a quote here um, I want to close with. It's from Spurgeon. I was looking at this this morning here, and I just want to, I want to close with this. Our thanks are due to God for all temporal blessings. They are more than we deserve. But our thanks ought to go to God in thunders of hallelujahs for spiritual blessings. A new heart is better than a new coat. To feed on Christ is better to have than to have best earthly food. To be an heir of God is to be better than being an heir of the greatest nobleman. To have God for our portion is blessed, infinitely more blessed than to own broad acres of land. God hath blessed us with spiritual blessing. These are the rarest, the richest, the most enduring of all blessings. They are priceless in value. And if you know the Lord Jesus as your Savior today, they're yours. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you, thank you for Jesus. God, thank you for the blessings that we have already right now and in the heavenly places. And, and just as true as that is, and God, we can hardly understand that reality right now, but your word says just as true as our heavenly blessings are there now is the truth that in eternity past, before the foundations of the world, our name was on your mind. And you chose us to be adopted. Lord, we, we don't understand that. But God, I would pray that we would worship you in that reality. Lord, would you give us faith to believe that to be true and to live like it? Lord, we just commit the week to you. There are many things on our hearts. There's different direction we're going. Lord, may we represent you to a hurting world and just grow in you this week in our time in your word. God, I pray for you to do a work amongst us as we go through this book of Ephesians, precious words about who we are in you and who you are, God. May you change our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You're dismissed.